Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible studies. We continue our series beyond Sunday. Today we finally made it to the fruit of the Spirit. And I give a little intro at the beginning and it's a little longer, so I'm going to get right into the study. So without further ado, here is this week's Bible study. Let's go, you can go one of two places. We're going to start in Galatians 5 because Galatians 5 is where we begin to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but then I'm going to go over to 1 Corinthians 13, which maybe when you hear that, it's a familiar cue to you of what that chapter is. If not, that's fine. We'll get to it in a minute. But I've been wrestling with this because I want to make sure that we've laid the right groundwork, which if you know me and my personality, when my daughter wanted to be saved at like five years old, I drilled her with questions for like an hour, it felt like, before she got saved because I wanted to make sure she really understood it. And so here we are, the seventh week, and I could drill you with uh, context to make sure you've gotten it so far, and I'm trying to back off of that. But I I have said multiple times that we've been cultivating the ground of our heart. And over the first six lessons, what we've been kind of doing is plowing Plowing the ground. I'm not a farmer, but I, I've heard about farmers going through and having to get the rocks out of the field. And I've, I've had some initial parts in gardening. And I say initial because once I do the initial part, I'm just out. Um, and because there's one big thing that makes me not like gardening. Can you guess what it is? Weeds. Work. Thank you for whoever said that. Um, but that would be that. But weeds, I just, I'm just, that's not what I do. So I can plow at the beginning. If it stays like that, wonderful. But if the weeds come, we bail. And it always comes. The weeds just always come. Though uh, my wife does good at that. But um, so over the last six weeks, we've been trying to deal with the weeds. We've been trying to plow the ground. We've been trying to deal with all of this that chokes out the fruit of the spirit that we want to talk about. Because I don't believe that the Christian life, and I don't have my photos up today, but I don't believe the Christian life is supposed to be a life of defeat. And I don't think that when you get saved, it's like, all right, I'm saved. I just can't wait till I get to heaven. And I just got to be defeated for 70 years until I get to heaven or however long you live. I think it's supposed to be one of rejoicing. I don't think you get up from whether it be on your knees praying to get saved or whether it was in your car or at the altar. I don't think you get up from that moment excited thinking, all right, well, tomorrow this will wear off. I just got to figure it out for a while. No, it's the Christian life. It's a life of victory. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have life more abundantly. And so that's what we've been attacking in this series. And we said it's the Spirit of God that's going to bring that about. And, uh, but today we're going to now start to see what is supposed to be our life. We've dealt with everything that's going to try to keep you from this life right here. And we're going to dive into the fruit of the Spirit. So you're in Galatians 5, verse 16 was the verse I said I really like. It's the key verse. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. We've developed those lessons over the last few weeks. If you've missed them, you can go back and listen to them on the podcast. But walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's great. That's the, ne- that's the one negative part. If you walk in the Spirit... You're not, going to, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then we listed, lastly, boy, last week's lesson got ugly, it got painful, it got even awkward to teach because we're just dealing with sin. And we were just dealing with sin because he said in verse 17, that flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. And we called it the daily battle. 
There's a battle every day. From the moment you got up, there's a battle. Your flesh wants to dominate you today. The spirit is already the king in a sense. He already sits on the throne of your heart, but you get to choose who you yield to. Hopefully so far today, you've chosen to yield to the spirit and hopefully you continue to. But if you choose to, to yield to the flesh continuously, eventually you're going to find yourself, verse 19, and the works of the flesh are manifest. They come to light. What's inside, I said last week, does eventually will be manifest, will eventually come out. The same is true on the positive, but I'm going to get to it. But we said, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, I have all, as I have also told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then look at verse 22. He gets out of all that and he says, but, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now in verse 19, did you see that word manifest? The word manifest means it comes to light. You can see what's inside and hidden comes to light. Well now verse 22, he says the fruit of the Spirit. I can't see the Spirit in you just like I can't see the old nature in you. But I can see the actions of your old nature and you can see the actions of my old nature when i'm in the flesh you can be like eh, you're in the flesh i can see it because it comes out so how can i tell that the spirit of god lives inside of you well the fruit of the spirit is and then he begins to list them how do we know an apple tree is an apple tree now some of you may be those bark people and you're just really good at it you can just look at it and say i can tell but still even looking at the bark it's an outward thing but you know how I'm pretty good at it is because when it grows and then apples come on, I can look and say apple. Even in my caveman mentality, I can look and say apple. Okay, I'm pretty good at that. The peach tree can throw me off a little bit, but I can say apple because peach tree doesn't look like the peaches that are in the can. All right, no, I can I can figure it out. But it, it's but apple tree. Why does it produce that? Because it's an apple tree. So what is hidden in the seed and in the ground? will eventually bring forth fruit. And so if the Spirit of God resides in us and we are walking and yielded to the Spirit, he says that the fruit or the outcome or the result of the Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. You crucified that flesh to the cross with the affections and the lusts. It should be dead to you. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so this is the lesson. These are not in the lesson in the sense of this is going to be the most magnificent lesson. But this is the truth that we've been building at. Deal with the enemies. Deal with the flesh. All of this stuff so that we can live this abundant life and walk in the Spirit. And he says the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. Now let me say this about the fruits of the Spirit. I believe they're the character of Jesus Christ being lived out in you. As I've said at the beginning, the Holy Spirit's purpose from Romans chapter 8 is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, when you walk in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, guess what? The image of Christ and His character is going to come out. You're going to see love. Are we love? No, Christ is love. You're going to see joy, and I'm going to show all of these as we go through over the next couple of weeks. And so let's just begin. And let me, uh, let me give you one more preface thing. It's not like you pick and choose which one of these you want to do. Some people get the idea of, well, you know, I'm pretty good at, I'm pretty good at the love thing, but I'm not too good at the peace one. Or not. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. 
You all notice that singular. You'll hear it now if you get this. You'll hear it when preachers say it wrong. They'll say the fruits of the Spirit. And that's the fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Why? They're all expected in our life every day. All of them. So we don't pick and choose. It's not a buffet of which fruit you want, which one you're going to be better at. Well, I'm better at this and this. No, we may be struggling in some areas, but God desires the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look first. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. With that start, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and begin in love and try to work through a few of these as we can. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it's known as the chapter of love. If you really want to get deep or you ever hear a preacher say we're going to talk about love today, he's eventually going to make his way to 1 Corinthians 13 because this is the chapter of love. I, I didn't give you notes today. I apologize. I just had too much that too much that I would have to put in there and I just didn't get to it. But how do we describe love? How is love described in the Bible? Well, the type of love that our world focuses on is this Greek word eros. Eros. That's a sensual love. It's actually never mentioned in the Bible. Eros is never mentioned in the Bible. But it is the fleshly love that brings satisfaction to yourself. So Eros is the people that go to a website to try to find something that pleases to themselves. Eros is that type of love when I was in second grade and I thought I was just madly in love with this person in my class. I just thought I was madly in love with that person. I found she's my cousin later on. But I mean, I thought I was madly in love. Matt, that is that is the, the when you're little kids. I hear I hear our little nephews and my my kids. We had the boys. It was boys night yesterday because these two were out shopping, and so we had the boys and they're riding with me. We had ice cream. We had a few things, and they were oh I know who he likes. Oh I know who she likes. Do you know who he likes? He likes this person, and one of them was our cousin. I'm like you guys are cousins. You can't do that. All right, but they're just so little. They don't know your cousin's like your first crush. And, but then they'll say this person, and I'm just like guys, let's just stop talk baseball talk football or something all right but what is that that's that eros that's that that's just that it's that lustful and it can get very sinful or it can be i've just gave an illustration of just a childish way but it's that fleshly type of love it's not true love then we know the word phileo from where we get the word philadelphia it's brotherly love that is mentioned in the bible that's a type of of social love a brotherly type of love like I would have for this class. I, I would say that many of you, I love you in the sense of a brotherly love. If I were to say that to you, you don't think that it's anything crazy or weird. You just say, hey, that's the type of love that we have. I, some people are good at saying I love you and some are not. You know, uh, we often joke, my dad doesn't say I love you too much ever. I say it to my kids every day, basically. Um, and so some are don't. I don't a lot of say, say it to other guys. Ryan's a good friend of mine. I don't think I've ever said, hey, man, I just love you. I don't do it. Chris Chavez does, and it threw me for a loop one time. The first time I kind of got to meet Chris and we became friends, he's like, he gave me, he, you know, gave me the guy a hug. I'm good. He goes, I just, I just want you to know I love you. And I was just like, what do I say back? I mean, you're not, you're not my wife. You're, you're not my kids. You're another guy, and you just said I love you. But I mean, that, after that, it's kind of. But I wasn't, wasn't used to that. But that, what, what he meant was, and we understand, it's that phileo. Hey, I love you as a brother in Christ. I love you, and, and it, it means a lot. Now, I know that that's who he is. But the third type of love, which is actually the fruit of the Spirit, is agape love. And here's the thing about this love. You ready? You guys can't do it, and neither can I. All right, wraps up the lesson. Let's pray, and we're done. All right? No, you can't do it, and I can't do it, because we don't have the capability. It's a God-like love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. So the Spirit lives in us, and he brings about the fruit of the Spirit, love. 
when I yield to the Spirit, I can have this type of love. What is this type of love? I've always defined it this way. Many of you have heard me say it. You read it probably a few last week in the church bulletin. But many define this love as a sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of others without selfish thought of return. We can see that somewhat in a form of our military giving of themselves for another without thought of return. Now they're getting there's some return, they're getting paid. There's some recognition they get, some honor they get, but it is very sacrificial. They're willing to give their lives, very thankful for that. Jesus is the ultimate example. He gave of himself. What was he going to get from it? He left heaven, the glories of heaven. He had to deal with sinful man. He died on the cross, but he inherited, he got us. Oh, his enemies. But he loved us. It was sacrificial. And so he, 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 he is the example of what true love is. And that's the type of love he says that you and I are to have. You and I are to have agape love towards this world. But it's not going to come natural. And why doesn't it come natural? Let me ask, this is going to be, uh, I, I can't get too sidetracked. I need to spend about 10 minutes on each point. But why is this so unnatural for us? Any thoughts? What is at our core? Pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness. And, and the opposite of love, sometimes the easiest way to see if you're living in the fruit of the Spirit is to look at it as the opposite. So if I would have, I was going to put a team, I had a lot of plans I wanted to do with this lesson. I was going to have one team over here and one team over here. And if you're on team love, the opposite of you is not hate. A lot of people think, oh, the opposite of love is hate. Nah, the opposite of love, biblically, is selfishness. You know when I'm the most unloving to this woman right here? When I'm very selfish. You know when I make her feel the most loved? When I let the dogs in the bed. No, when I, but uh, when, when, when I am sacrificial for her, which may be letting the dogs in the bed, but when I am willing to sacrifice, that's what fills her love tank the most. Because love um, is the opposite of love is selfishness. So sometimes the easiest way to see, am I in the fruit of the Spirit? Are you being selfish right now? If you're being selfish not right now, that's, a, that's team flesh. And so, but team love is sacrificial, giving of oneself for the benefit of another without selfish thought of return. God is described as this love. It says in 1 John 4, He that loveth knoweth not God, for God is love. That's the word agape. It says that the Lord in Jeremiah 31 hath appeared unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, to our text in 1 Corinthians 13, this is just such a rich passage that I don't have time to do it justice. But let's read down through this a little bit. Because the word charity is also the same Greek word. In this case, it's the word love. It's the word agape. But let's just look at what he says. In verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, so if he had this, this gift of language that he could speak with the tongue of angels, but he says, And I have not charity, I have become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, something that's pointless, it's worthless. So if, even if we have great words and a great oratory, but we, are, we don't have any love, our words are empty. You ever hear a selfish speaker before? When, I mean, it's going to fall on deaf ears. We, we see also without biblical love, our motives are weak. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all that, and, and, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, 
And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, agape love, it profited me nothing. So without biblical love, my words are empty. Without biblical love, my motives are weak. Without biblical love, the deeds that I do have very little impact. Love is so important. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And then if you went down through this text, just notice it's a good marriage study to go through, but charity, it says, suffereth long. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own. That's selfishness. It's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. So rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether it be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether it be tongues, they shall cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. So a lot of that was some old English that maybe you say, I, I don't get all that. Well, here's some of the things he said. Love is patient. It's long-suffering. Love is kind. It, it, while, while patience waits, kindness takes action. So in your, if you're loving, you're going to be willing to wait. But if you're also loving, you're going to be willing to act in a very kind way. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, love. Love's not jealous. It's not envying. Love doesn't brag. It's not vaunting, not itself. It's not arrogant. It means it's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself. It seemingly means it's got good manners, not inappropriate behavior. It does not seek its own, not selfish. It's not easily provoked. It doesn't get roused to anger or bitterness. Love doesn't carry a chip on its shoulder. Uh, and I <laughs> looked at the notes there. It says, like, they didn't shake my hand. I must have heard that a lot in the past because I have that in a lot of my notes but uh, when I taught through this but thinketh no evil means it doesn't keep accounts of wrong we ever done that before you ever keep accounts that are wrong in your marriage and you just bring it up it's like a it's like an app here's a list of things you've done now boom thinketh no evil it doesn't keep it doesn't keep a list of things that are wrong so that is the description that I did a very injustice in going through it very fast that is the list of love that God says if you want to be, when you think about love, that is love. And it's, if you're honest, if we took time and took our whole week to study that, it's not easy. That's why marriage isn't always easy. Because love has a, it, we tend to want to be selfish people. And true godly love strips away all selfishness. So how do I display love as a believer? Well, we think about one person, I think Amy Carmichael said, Christians should be God's love with skin on. God's love with skin on. We ought to just display love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you have love one for another, Amy Carmichael said this. She said, you cannot give without loving, and you cannot love without giving. So she, in her mind, she wrote, godly lady, thought that love show, is seen in giving. But I can't argue with that because Jesus loved us and gave of himself. A strong marriage is giving of yourself for, the, for someone else. And so love is part of giving. Love's displayed in our walk. I'm not going to get into all these, but love is displayed in forgiveness. John, in 1 John, he says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? It's a convicting verse. Love is serving others. I love this in Galatians 5. He says, For brethren, if ye have been called deliberately, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love, agape love is the Greek word, serve one another. 
And so I, I know I'm kind of going a little bit fast through, through these fruits of the Spirit, but it's because if you've laid the groundwork in dealing with sin, now I want you to start looking in your life to say, am I really showing the love of Christ? And the idea behind this is if you say, well, I'm not being very loving, just to roll up your sleeves and say, I'm going to be more loving. No, I'm going to be yielded more to Jesus Christ. The apple doesn't sit at the end of the branch or as it's going to come forth and say, man, I just got to work a little bit harder. It just yields to the branch. And as long as that apple is yielded to the branch and that branch is connected to the tree, there's going to be life. You're going to have apples. And the same is true for us. As long as you are walking in the Spirit, you're going to see love come. It's as natural as a fruit coming. It's as natural as when we planted the the seeds in that garden this, this year, and all of a sudden, there's all kinds of tomatoes. Cucumbers, out of, out of control. Pumpkins, until I weed eated them <laughs> on accident, out of control. Lesson learned on that one. But I mean, out of control. But what happened, though? What happened? The moment that I weed-eated those vines, I guess, that's, that's one theory, okay? The moment that I weed-eated those vines, all of the sudden, there's no life there. Why? Because the connection has been broken. They're no longer abiding in the vine. Guess what? When you and I are no longer abiding in Jesus Christ, you're not going to see love. You're going to see a lot of selfishness. A lot of selfishness. And you can mark it back to there's been a disconnect. You're no longer abiding. I, I should have maybe, not should have this week, that would be, it's the wrong words, but I could have this week taught on John 15. I've just taught it so much at this church. I was like, I was like, they've heard, some of these people have heard me say it many times. But John 15 is one of my favorite passages, but it's all about abiding in the vine. If you abide in Jesus Christ, you'll bear much fruit. When you bear much fruit, you glorify God. That could have been a prep lesson for this. So you abide in Jesus Christ, you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit love in your life. So love, if I had to ask you right now on this first one, we're going to move to joy next. Do you see love in your life? Or is there a lot of selfishness? If there's a lot of selfishness, you know you got to back up and start plowing some of that ground again. you got to be talking to God and walking in His Spirit. Because you say, oh, I've been seeing a lot of selfishness in my relationships and in my actions. The second one is joy. He says, not only is the fruit of the Spirit love, but he says joy. And I, when I think about this one, I think from the beginning of time, man has been pursuing joy through all kinds of different avenues. They've, there's a guy named Jay Gould I looked up. He was an American millionaire, and he once said, he says, I suppose that I'm the most miserable man on the earth. You're a millionaire. He said, I'm the most miserable man on the earth. Alexander the Great, after he conquered all this known world, he complained, and he said, there's no more worlds to conquer. Today, people are buying new possessions, starting new relationships, they're changing careers, but still joy is missing. And I asked this question in my notes, thinking through this this week, is why are people so unhappy? I remember working with a teenager once, and his number one thing he kept saying to me, this was up in Michigan, he goes, I just want joy, I just want joy, I just want joy. I took him to passages in, in, in John 15, I took him to the fruit of the Spirit, and I said, joy comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And not, that's the start. That would be my first point here. The source of joy is salvation, just like the source of love. All The source of all the fruits, I can put this as my first point for every fruit. You're not going to have love if you don't have salvation because you've got to be in this, you got to be a child of God. You're not going to have true joy if you're not a child of God because the source of joy begins 
with salvation. It's got a foundation in salvation. But then joy blossoms as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as I just said in the other first point. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes as we yield to the Holy Spirit. And so what is, though, the opposite of joy? Because sometimes I like to set this out early. I thought about waiting to the end and saying, here's the opposite. But it may help us zero in on whether or not we're seeing the fruit of the Spirit joy when you just know that the opposite teammate. And the opposite of joy is, I don't like this one. All right? I don't like this one because it's me a lot of times. Frustration. You ever get frustrated? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. You want to come tell us about it? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. It happens. It happens. It, it could creep up on you. This, this, uh, here, just to be real. This morning, I had four boys to get ready, and I'm thinking about this lesson. My, Sunday mornings are such a temptation with me to get frustrated because I know that in a few hours, in a, in a few hours there's going to be a bunch of you looking at me that, want me to, that are expecting me to teach a lesson, and that's going through my mind. You, show what I, you know what I don't want to be going through my mind? Are the boys getting their socks on? Are they getting up? Or what is they? What am I getting them for for food? Uh, how am I going? To, or what are they going to wear? Put the right shoes on. These socks don't fit. I want this shirt. I all of that doesn't scream. I've got to teach in a couple hours, and so instead of choose sometimes instead of choosing to yield to the spirit joy and realizing some of the things we're going to talk about, all of a sudden this teammate over here frustration starts to creep up. You know, and, and there's ways we can tell what frustration is, right? Frustration sounds like this sometimes. <sighs> you ever done that? All of a sudden it's like, oh, I think the fruit of the Spirit frustration is happening over there. It comes up. It, I almost think this, this, the opposite of this joy is a sound, because I, really I really think it's that. It's the opposite of joy. So I set that as a parameter because what is joy? The stability of joy is what I call this. It's not an up and down, but it's a constantly available to us. The world can't provide this type of joy. And I think about it in sometimes in trials. How can two people face an unimaginable trial? This may be the similar trial, but they have different responses to it. And the way they can do that is because one has the joy of the Lord as their strength, and the other is looking for something temporary in this world. In Nehemiah 8, verse 10, he says, And he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Sometimes we see the joy, as I mentioned, in trials. And God will use trials in our lives to bring us closer to himself. I talked a little bit about the being steadfast with our teenagers on, on uh, Wednesday night. But trials come to our lives. And trials are intended maybe to bring us closer to God. They, they're used to build spiritual maturity. I mentioned that in week one of our studies. But some of us respond to trials in frustration. Why is this got to be happening to me? God, why are you doing this? And we're responding in frustration and we're not reaping the benefits of it. That trial can be used to develop joy in your life because you, and the reason why we can see that is because we have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ that you can get through no matter what trial you face, you can still have joy. Joy, by the way, let me just define it. Joy doesn't mean that you're jumping up and down and happy. Doesn't mean when you hear, find out a friend's got cancer. It doesn't mean when you find out in the, if you're a family that you have cancer. You find out the death of a loved one. Doesn't mean you're excited, going, "Yes, well, I got the joy of the Lord, though it's all right." No, no, no. Joy is a stability. You can still be sad. You can still go through some difficult times, but it's a stability. Saying, "Hey, 
My joy is not founded in good circumstances. My joy is founded in Jesus Christ. And so you may take away my health, Job. You can take away my kids, Job. You may take away my possessions, Job. But I'm still going to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Why could he do that? Because he had a relationship with Jesus Christ and it brought a stability about him. You don't see Job sighing there. You don't see Job in those early chapters. You don't see all that. Why? Because there was a joy he had. That's the type of joy that's expected in us. We can have a joy in our trials. We can have a joy in our persecution. He says in, in the Beatitudes, blessed are they which are persecuted. Well, how can we have blessed? How can we be joyful? He says for, for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed or joyful are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's not when I think I want to be blessed and joyful. If you want to revile me and say bad things about me, I want to defend. Think about these words. I want to defend myself, my world, my selfishness. I want to revile you back, my world, my revenge. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's team frustration. The joy is a stability. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, he says, for great is your reward in heaven. So there's a stability of joy, but the sign of joy, joy is a byproduct of obedience. The most miserable person is a Christian who's not yielded to obedience to God. He just cannot, he's not going to be joyful, he's going to be grieved, he's quenching the spirit, he's constantly in his flesh. That's why sometimes when people say, oh, if you're unsaved, they're the most miserable people in the world. I'm like, no, they're not. Unsaved people don't know to be miserable because they don't believe in their future damnation to hell. So they're living it up, and sin is pleasurable for a season, is it not? The most miserable people I've ever seen in this world are Christians who are living in disobedience to God because they have an internal turmoil that's terrible, and their circumstances start falling apart on the outside. They are absolutely miserable at some point in life. There may be some joy for a while, or some, I shouldn't say joy, some pleasure in sin for a while. But a Christian that's running from God, mm, not the joy. And so the sign of joy um, was seen in our singing. We talked about making a joyful noise. Uh, the, was seen in our serving. Paul said that in, in Acts chapter 20, he said that he, he says, But none of these things move me, neither count on my life during to myself, that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry that I had. Joy is seen in our soul winning. He says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And what I'm trying to say is this joy is something that is outward. It, it, it comes out in our lives but if you say well i just sense that i have no joy in my life right now well maybe you need to pray what david prayed in psalm 51 here's what david said he prayed this prayer he said restore unto me the joy of thy salvation it may be that we've been overcome with the fruit of the flesh frustration and we don't have any joy anymore we don't get joy in coming to church there's no joy in reading our bibles there's no joy in the things of god it may be because we've just yielded to the flesh so much. We've allowed the frustrations of life to dominate us. And we need the stability of joy. And the only way to get that is maybe to pray and say, God, would you restore it? Forgive me for my frustrations. I don't know how many times I pray, forgive me for my frustrations. Maybe not that exact word, but it's that theme. This is the fruit of the Spirit that gets me quite often. It's easy for me to want to get just, just frustrated, just like over things but he says restore to me the joy of my salvation last one i'm going to give to you today is peace love joy peace let's talk about peace for a second this is a difficult one 
You know, the annual cost to employers in a stress-related care and missed work is $300 billion, according to the American College Health Association. National College Health Assessment says there, it gave some statistics. They said the survey in the, in the spring, this is 10 years ago, they said that 46% of students felt hopeless. They also found that 86% of students felt like they were overwhelmed with what they had to do. 86 felt like they were exhausted. 57 felt lonely, 61% felt sad, 31% felt so depressed they found it difficult to function, 7% seriously thought about committing suicide, 1% attempted suicide, and 5% intentionally bruised, burned, cut, or physically hurt themselves. That was 10 years ago. I'd say those numbers are even higher in the majority of these cases now. It's just our, the stress level and the anxiety level of our society is off the charts. One Peanuts cartoon, Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I hate everything, I hate everybody, I hate the whole world. And Charlie said, but, but I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy replied, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. And um, Dad, Dad loves those things, and he always talks about them. But sometimes we can get there. We feel like, I just want peace. And, but I'm not finding it. My, my, I was reading on the Enneagram. You guys heard of Enneagram on my personality. My Enneagram personality says it desires peace. Desires peace. And so I started looking back in my journal. And I found, found that word peace come up all the time in my mind. Peace come up all the time in my mind. Because we're all, and some of you maybe more than others, but we're searching for peace. But sadly, some people just let, they don't know where peace comes from. Where does peace come from? Peace comes from the Spirit of God. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. When you and I are walking in the Spirit, love, joy, peace comes from us. But what is on team flesh? That's the opposite. Lines up. If you're, it's football season, right? So in football season today, you're going to have someone down on the line and someone straight across from him. We already know straight across from love is selfishness. Straight across from joy is frustration. Who is straight across from peace? I already said his name once. Anxiety. Worry. Boy, those two line up against each other. And peace is the fruit of the Spirit, could dominate every time if we just walked in the Spirit. But how many times does worry and anxiety win in my life and in probably yours as well? So peace with God, we know it begins, just like every one of these fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to say this, it begins in salvation, right? Because the source of the fruit comes in salvation. There's got to be peace within. But the opposite of peace I've already mentioned is worry. The word worry means to choke. When we worry, we choke out the ability to focus and serve and make right decisions and see the Holy Spirit work in our lives. I thought it helps me when I think about that. Is words choke. When, you're, when you and I are worrying, it's like we're choking out the influence of the Spirit in our lives. Peace comes from within the Spirit. It's sustained by the Word of God. I love this verse. Have you guys heard this verse? Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Who? Whose mind is stayed on thee. When our mind is fixed upon God and fixed upon God's word, it brings a peace. But when I stay, get out of God's word, this was one of our early lessons in tilling the ground. When I get away from God's word, I'm more susceptible to the worries of this world. And there's no, there's no peace. It says in Psalm 119, great peace have they who, which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. That that offend doesn't mean, like I said before, you didn't shake my hand, so I'm offended. No, the word offend there means to stumble. When I have great peace when I love God's word and I'm in God's word, and nothing's going to cause me to stumble, choke. 
So peace from within, it governs our lives. There's, we could go over to Colossians, but I'm not going to spend too much time on this, this point. But, well, I'll just say in Colossians, he says, let the peace of God rule or dominate or umpire your life. Peace of God has got to rule in our lives. But then the peace not only moves from with us, from within, but at peace to others. I need to have peace in our homes, peace at our church, peace at our workplace. Peace follows walking in the Spirit. So you have a church that's got all kinds of squabbles. You know why? There's a lot of people not walking in the Spirit. So what do you do as a pastor? Do you get up and say, hey, walk in the Spirit? Well, yeah, but it's hard to do. It's not, I shouldn't say it's hard to do. It takes discipline. We've got to consciously, and that's the only reason I'm bringing this lesson, these lessons to you now, and I know you guys, for the most part, you know what love is, you know what peace is, you know what joy is, but here's why I'm saying it. You've got to look for it. When we bought, I've, I've never, when did we get your car recently? I don't know, a couple months ago. Before a couple months ago, when, we, when Shell and I bought a Volkswagen, what is it, Jetta, Volkswagen Jetta, I've never, I don't ever remember, outside of a bug, I don't ever remember seeing a Volkswagen on the road. Never see a Volkswagen on the road. You know what I see all the time now? I see Volkswagens on the road everywhere. <laughs> now, either everybody wants to be like Michelle, which I can understand that, or I'm just more sensitive to it now because I've seen one. And now I see that logo everywhere I go. There's actually a, it's, there's actually a psychological uh, word for that that I've forgotten. I've heard it recently and read it recently. But it's when you've seen something, now you start seeing it everywhere. Well, the thing is, here's what I'm trying to do with this lesson today, and then I'm going to be done. All I'm wanting to do is get you to think about love so you start seeing your selfishness. I want you to think about the stability of joy so you start seeing your frustrations. I want you to think about your worry and anxiety, not so you worry and anxiety more about it, but so you start thinking about the peace of God. Because here's what happens. When we recognize this and we start saying, hey, I'm starting to be on team flesh. And I want to get back to team spirit. He's already won the victory. So what do I do? If I'm struggling with, with selfishness, if I'm struggling with frustrations, if I'm struggling with anxiety, the first three that we've looked at, what do I do? Remember what we've said already? Remember Colossians, he says, as you have received Jesus Christ, so walk ye in him. What did you do to get Jesus? You prayed and admitted of your, un, unabil, your inability to get yourself to heaven, confessed your sin and cried out to God. And what did he do? He saved you. So guess what? You don't have the ability to walk in peace, love, or joy, but God does. So call out to him and say, God, I'm so full of anxiety. God, I'm so full of frustration. God, I'm so full of selfishness. Would you forgive me? Would you help me to be what I cannot be? And you know what? God will do it. Amen. You say, ah, it just sounds too foolish. I'm telling you, he tells us to walk in the spirit, to walk in faith. That's faith. I remember one night, um, my dad talks about this, but I worry my, I was worrying myself, this is years ago, but I was worrying myself to death. I was laying in bed, just tossing and turning, worrying, 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 worrying. And all of a sudden I thought about what I just said to you. I knew this. I just, I was reading a book, as a matter of fact, on being, walking in the spirit. And I think, why don't I just ask God? Why don't I just do what I always teach people? So I was laying in bed that night and I just prayed and I said, God, I'm so full of worry right now and it's wrong and it's sin. I ask you to forgive me. God, I, the best I know how, I'm asking for you to give me peace. Because you promise that the fruit of the Spirit's peace. And I'm asking, I'm confessing any sin I know. And I just ask you to give me peace. Because I can't do it. Within five minutes, I was asleep like that. Now, I'm not saying 
Because now what's going to happen is you're going to try it tonight, but you're going to think about it the whole time. You're going to be like, it's been, it's been six minutes, it didn't happen. Okay. I'm just saying, in, for, that, for me in that moment, I knew I totally, by faith, gave it to God. you got to totally live and walk in the Spirit and say, God, I just want to see your fruit. I'm tired of the flesh. Let's, not let the, let's just stop the flesh from winning in these three areas. We'll get to three more next week. Let's walk in the Spirit. Let's pray.